0: Before we open our Bibles this morning, let us bow our heads and turn our hearts to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning to celebrate the gospel, to praise you for your unfailing goodness, your forgiveness and mercy upon each of us. Lord, you are truly an awesome God, in the depths of our devastation, caused by our own sin, you loved us, I sent your son to die for us, so that we may be reconciled unto you, O oh God. As we gather here this morning, we remember, 19 years ago, we remember the devastation of terrorists here in our homeland and we remember how frightened, how scared, how alone we felt. But we also remember the day after, remember the day after when we came together as a people with love for one another. Lord, it seems that in 19 years we have forgotten to do just that, to love one another as you have called us to love. As we remember not only that day 19 years ago, may we remember you at this table, your love for us, that was unconditional. Maybe we'd be strengthened to have that love for our neighbors. Lord, as we gather here this day, we praise you that 75 years ago, your people gathered to form this congregation. And that for 75 years, your church has witnessed to the gospel of Jesus Christ here on the beach, to this community, and to the corners of the world. Lord, we thank you for making us part of that witness. And we pray and ask for your help that we can continue to be a bold witness for Jesus here on the beach, in our community, and to the ends of the earth. May we not rest on the laurels in the past of the saints, but that we too may walk in faith alongside their example. Unafraid. Unafraid to tell people of Jesus. Unafraid to love people enough to tell them of Jesus. Lord, as we gather this morning, We pray for those who are hurting, who are sick, who are lonely, those who are ravished by anxiety and depression. O great God of comfort, may you be just that for them. May you bring that peace into their lives. And for those who are in the moment experiencing devastation and just feel numb at times. May they not be so numb as to not know you are there. Oh God, we thank you for your presence in our life, for your unfailing goodness, and that you have never left us nor forsaken us. And because of Christ, we stand and walk today. For it's in His name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter eight. Um, our the verses we will focus on are verse twelve and thirteen, uh, but we will actually begin reading in verse six. Um, you know, chapter. The Bible really wasn't written for us to you know, study one verse at a time. However, it's so complex, we need to study it one verse at a time, but within context. And so we need a bit more context. Our brains get foggy after a couple of weeks trying to remember exactly what we read. And so that's why we'll be in Romans 8, and we'll read 6 through 13, but we're gonna focus on 12 and 13 today. So here now, the words of Paul written to the Romans. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. So then, right? We've said this before when we read Paul's letters. He was a master at making an argument. Paul will admit himself that his speech was stuttered and murmuring. And and he wasn't a great orator. However, he was great at developing and making the arguments and presenting his case. And so when we read Paul... We pay attention to the language Paul uses and the way Paul uses that language because it it gives us clues, right? When we began this series in chapter 8, we began back in verse 1 where he says, there is therefore, right? And that therefore was our clue. Well, if we haven't read chapters 1 through 7, we have no idea what Paul is talking about. And he's saying, "In, in light of everything I've already said, therefore, and begins telling us more. Well, today he writes, so then, which is the reason we had to go back and read again, because he says, in the therefore is there, and I've told you what's happened, and now there is a so then, because of this, so then, we who are in Christ, remember He's talking to believers because he, he did that thing. We saw it in, in verse 6. He's, he's comparing and contrasting those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. But then it was, he, he got to verse 9 and he said, You, however, and now he's talking to believers, those who are in Christ. So then you who are in Christ, we are not debtors. We are debtors. It doesn't say we are not debtors. We are debtors, but not to the flesh. Not to live according to the flesh. See, before Christ, we were enslaved to our flesh. Now, when Paul uses the word flesh, his, the, the way he uses this word, this term, Paul writes of it as our human nature that is enslaved to sin and rebellion against God. Anything that is a sin against God, anything that is a rebellion against God is of our flesh, of our fleshly desires, of our human nature. He says, But so then, those who are in Christ Jesus are no longer indebted to the flesh, he makes that distinction for us. You don't owe the flesh anything. You don't own, owe your fleshly desires anything. You who are in Christ are no longer ruled by your fleshly desires, by your flesh. You are no longer ruled by that law of sin and death, as Paul explains it to us. Right? We go back and we look at Verse 2, in this very chapter, Paul writes, The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Because of what Christ accomplished and your faith in Christ, you are no longer indebted to the law of sin and death. Amen? Paul says this, when you have been born again, now, now when we're born again and, and, and we're baptized, essentially what we are doing is we are going and hanging up a banner to let the world know that we are under new ownership. Right? Restaurants do this, businesses do this all the time, right? and it, especially the ones that have had you know, kind of a sordid track record for a while. And they, want, and they want everyone to know we are now under new management or we are now under new ownership, right? They, they want that distinction because the old is past and the new is coming. The facade on the outside is the same, and, and maybe some of the contents are the same, but there's a new ownership, there's a new beliefs, there's a new values, there's a new setting going before them, working hard to change to something new. And this is the sign you hang up at your baptism, under new ownership. The scriptures talk about it as both ownership, as us belonging to God, but they also talk about it in terms of citizenship, right? We are not citizens of this world anymore. Once we are baptized in water and come into Christ, we are not citizens of this world, but we are citizens of heaven citizens of a new kingdom we are under rule of a new king no longer our flesh as paul writes we're no longer debtors to the flesh to live according to the flesh it has no claims and no rights upon your life and we struggle with this we struggle Right? Because it's this inside-out change. The spirits come in. We talked about this last week. It's that dwelling. It's that permanent residence. The spirits come in. We've got new ownership, and it begins in, inside-out change. And then our flesh and the spirit, we're battling each other because they are at odds. They are not of the same purpose and mind. And so we battle, and there's a war waging on inside of us. But we have the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has the power to defeat, to kill sin and death in our lives. But we are a forgetful people. Bible even calls us stiff-necked. And I'll raise my hand on that one. I might be the most stubborn of them all. Thanks for the affirmation. but your flesh lies to you, right? It's, it's not, uh, when, when we think of, of our, our, our flesh, it, sometimes it demands our obedience. We think sometimes flesh and Satan are the same thing, but it's not true. Satan comes and convinces us to follow our fleshly desires. Satan's not responsible for our sin. He didn't commit our sin and our rebellion. The Bible holds us and we know we are responsible for our sin and rebellion, for our fleshly desires and giving in to them. And, And sometimes our flesh lies to us without Satan's help at all because there's that war waging on. It shames us. It guilts us. We trip and we fall and we begin thinking, this is just who I am. I just can't help myself. That's your flesh lying to you. That's your flesh in the midst of the battle. These lies, they sound familiar. We hear, we hear Satan helping egg us on. You need this. You can't live without this. And if it's anything other than Jesus, yes, you can live without it. But you can't live without Jesus. And we hear, oh... You know what used to make me feel better and dive into it. You've earned it. Lies, your flesh tells us. You've earned it. You can indulge in a little bit of sin. That'll be okay. Right? Ah, a little bit of sin. I'm already saved in Christ. What's a little more sin? Right? That's not how this works. That's the flesh lying to you. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit to kill it to knock it down, to root it out, and get rid of it in your life. That's what Paul is telling us. He says, so then you have forgotten this. This is just power inside of you. You don't owe your flesh anything. It has no claims on your life. It's all lies. You owe nothing to it. And Paul writes, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is, this is powerful encouragement from Paul, right? So he spent the, that time in verses 9 through 11 telling us that the Spirit dwells within those who are in Christ Jesus. That the Spirit has taken a permanent residence in our lives to help us, to give us the power, the courage, and everything we need to wage this battle against our flesh. And so because you are in Christ, this is what Paul is writing, because you are in Christ, because you have been born again, because you have been given the Holy Spirit that has sealed your heart for God and his ownership forevermore, you can say to your flesh, you have no claim on my soul. You have no authority over me. You have no real power over me. Christ does. Because it's written in verse one, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, as Paul writes, he's reminding us that that a conversion is, is, is the first step. It's this conversion that's born again is justification. And then we live our lives and upon our death because we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit and our names are written in the book of life. Then we attain glorification, which is perfection with our Lord and Savior for all eternity. But there's the time in between. We call this sanctification. It's this this process of being made holy, of grace in process. And this is where the change occurs that you went from a non-fruit-bearing tree to you begin bearing some fruit. And our walk with Christ looks like we keep bearing more fruit. Dead branches get cut off. In John 15, Jesus does this thing where he talks about the vine and abiding in him. And he says that when we abide in Christ, he will come and prune us. Not only will he take away dead branches that don't produce fruit, but then even the branches that have produced some fruit, he'll begin cutting them back so we can produce more fruit. It's this grace in process. Perfection is not achieved on that day. But because he loves us, there's this grace that is continual through our lives. Because we remember, when we live according to our flesh, it's death, Paul writes. But it's your second birth, it was a birth by the Spirit, and you were given the Spirit to take up permanent residence in you. And now, we have become debtors to his grace, debtors to the Spirit living according to the Spirit, we are to be putting to death the deeds of the body, Paul writes. Now, the deeds of the body are are the works of the flesh that Paul writes later in his uh, letter to the Galatians in chapter 5. You can find those. We went over those a couple weeks ago as well. But the way Paul writes is interesting. In, In the Greek, they have verbs that are present continuous, which means they're in the present form, but it's a continuous thing that you're supposed to do forever. And so when he writes put to death, that verb in Greek is a present continuous. It is not a one time you killed all your sins, you're good to go. This is a daily battle of putting to death your sins. It's part of sanctification of this being made holy. remember, you don't owe your flesh anything. You don't owe your flesh to give in. It has no rights upon you. We've been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit has the power to kill the sin in our lives. But I want you to know this. Sin dies slowly. If, you, if you've been walking this Christian life For any amount of time, you understand sin dies slowly and it requires that present continuous action of putting it to death and rooting it out. Just because we put the banner up of under new ownership does not mean we are perfect as our owner in heaven is perfect, but that we are working each and every day to become more like Christ, to love more like Christ, to forgive more like Christ, to be generous more like Christ, to be more peaceful, joyful, self-controlled. That's why glorification doesn't occur at conversion. Because sin dies slowly. But part of the process is to kill it daily. And so the truth is, as Paul writes this, he's reminding them, So then, you who are in Christ Jesus, living according to the Spirit, I understand you're in this battle against your own flesh, and I understand sin dies slowly. Slowly. So also be gracious with yourself as you grow closer to God. Because when the Spirit dwells in you, it's taking up permanent residence. Not only does it give you the power to kill sin, here's how it it works with you, right? The Spirit constantly is drawing you back to Jesus. Constantly. It's, It's turning your head. It's pointing out and convicting you of sin in the various ways that it does. And then always pointing you to Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who is our Savior, our Master, our Healer, our King, and our Lord. It's because what Christ accomplished on the cross when he died, that when Christ went to the cross, he knew no sin, but he took on our sin and was a substitute for us, dying, and then when he shed his blood as an atonement for our sins, so that we would be reconciled with God, our Father, and Creator, where our sins, past, present, and future, would no longer count against us, and we would be reconciled into this new relationship filled with love and mercy and grace and peace and comfort. And three days later, he was resurrected. That when we put our faith in Christ and his sufficient work, we're saved from sin and death. We're given the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul's been telling us. You've received no condemnation. You've received the Holy Spirit permanently living in you. And you have the power to kill sin in your life. And so the Spirit leads those who are in Christ back to Jesus. Because here's the truth. Here's why the Spirit leads us back to Jesus. Because in the shadow of the cross, sin withers and dies. That is why Jesus is our only hope in life and death. So turn your eyes upon him. And may you find your rest in his work. Amen.